just sang, the verse we just sang, he comes to judge the earth. I can't think of many Christian doctrines more unappealing than the judgment of God. Probably the only one would probably be the doctrine of hell, which is actually next Sunday's topic. So toss that one for next week. But this week we're here. And um, uh, some of you may know, especially you've been coming to you know, I mean, uh, an Anglican or traditional church, in the, Advent, in the Advent season, we typically have the four Sundays, and they're uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. Um, but as I mentioned last week in, in, the, in the ancient church, when Advent was observed, the four Sundays were uh, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. say it like that, you, you understand why maybe in the modern age we created a kind of distance from that and we kind of relabeled the Sundays, maybe a bit more appealing, and who wants to come to church and really talk about death and judgment and hell? And we don't talk about heaven enough, so that was fun. But we're here today. Now if you've been coming on Sundays or if you've been keeping up to date on the sermons online, then you'll know that we've been, this past month really it's been, uh, we've been teasing the notion of judgment, God's judgment. As unappealing as it is uh, uh, to our modern sensibilities, really no human has ever, uh, any human in comfort has never enjoyed the notion of judgment. But as we explored, and I won't labor it today because we have a sermon or two about it already, we landed on that judgment at the least is good news for those who are oppressed in this world and have been oppressed through history. Maybe from, I'll speak for myself as a comfortable Westerner who has basically my basic needs met. Judgment can be a very off-putting word, but for people in this world who have been ground into the dust, who have experienced terrible oppression, and have never had a day in court, and no one has ever done any good or justice for them, the notion that God would come back into the world to challenge the powers of the age that enjoy to oppress human beings, that is good news. That's really good news, actually. And so part of an honest spirituality is understanding our context, that although we might feel discomfort with the concept and the notion of God's judgment, we also have to hold that tension that there are many humans today who long for it. Many of them are Christian sisters and brothers in parts of the world where they don't enjoy our comfort, where they don't enjoy our protections, our rights. And so at least, we should consider that. And that's kind of where we landed the past few weeks in the judgment of God. And that's good on its own. But something that I want to spend time today appreciating, and I, me I mentioned it in passing in my last sermon, and I felt, felt kind of guilty. Because I sort of said it, and I, didn't, I couldn't, you know, I had 20 minutes today. <laughs> I, I get 20 minutes. I hit 21, and I can see the mutiny in your eyes. So I have to keep it. So I couldn't say some things. Namely, I'll, say, I'll put it this way. Hope Maybe this, this tracks for you. Okay, Seth. I see your argument for, just, for the judgment of God being good for those multitudes who are oppressed in many parts of the world. Even here at home. Okay, I can grant that. But part of the discomfort is, if there's, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If everyone's being judged, and as we talked about, we all, right? Yeah, Hitler's of the, Hitler's of the world, sure. But all of us are going to be judged by God. Well... 
That's kind of a pickle. That's uncomfortable because, yeah, well, I'm not uh, an African warlord forcing children into child, you know, into uh, child slavery, but I'm just a regular Canadian. I go to work. I pay my taxes. And I try to be kind to my neighbor, my my family, and I feel uncomfortable with that. I, I feel uncomfortable with being judged. I want oppressors to be uh, uh, judged and put down, but I also feel an anxiety. I also feel uncomfortable with this concept of judgment. And is that just it? Is the call of the Christian life just to feel a layer of anxiety and discomfort? Is that truly the Advent message? Is that what I'm meant to feel walking into Christmas? Just, all right, I follow Jesus, I'm anxious. The answer is, of course, no. And on this second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace, I think that's exactly what Jesus is giving us. His peace. Now the question is, will we receive it? That's, that's always the question. Because whatever God offers us, God offers us on God's terms, not on ours. You understand that? We don't sit at the table with God and dictate to God how I'm going to receive things. I hear your love, Jesus, but now in the year 2023, love means this, and so I'm foisting this definition on you, and you have to accept what I say. That's not the way it works. God offers us his hope, his peace, but on God's terms. Now, what are they? Well, that's, that's the Advent journey. Last Sunday, we began with understanding the preparation preparing for the coming of the Lord. And today, the readings that we heard read, both from the letter of St. Peter and then the beginning of, of Mark and John, the unifying theme there is a call to repentance. That's how we prepare. That itself is also uncomfortable, maybe for some of us, because repentance at the very least invites us, if it's more than words, then what we do is then we look into the mirror and we speak truth and we're honest about who we are. The lives that we've had, the life that I've led, the things that I've said, and I, if I had to write out all my words of this past week or this morning even, I, I feel nervous having to read it. But it would be true and it would be honest to who I am. Now here, a lot of the times when I, I come here and share with you all, they're predicated on conversations that I've had with other folks. And here's something that I've run against, not only with conversations I've had, but in my own heart. The notion of, like said, it's too much doom and gloom. You're too gloomy. You're talking about too many things that are just unsettling. It'd be, it'd be better if you just didn't. Why not focus on the love of God, without talking about all this uncomfortable stuff. Why are you planning talking about hell next Sunday? Why? Why talk about these things? I get it. I, part of me gets it. It's uncomfortable. We are professionals at carving out polite religion. And as I hopefully have said, almost every Sunday I, I get a chance to, polite religion has nothing to say to this world. It has nothing to say to the suffering we feel. That's why I'll never impair it. But I, but I appreciate that this is the why. Um, 
As some of you know, I was born in the States. I'm American. Don't, don't hate me. Please accept me for who I am. Um, I spent a lot of my, my, my life there. And I, uh, when I was living in Little Rock, Arkansas, my, my elementary school was Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary. Magnet school. Very lovely school. And every morning, we said uh, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. We also had this very special pledge to uh, Martin Luther King, kind of his core values of love and anti-racism. Well, if you know about Martin Luther King Jr., you know his life. So that was part of it. And I guess that's kind of stayed with me in my life. And every year when we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., um, I've developed a habit of reading his letter from Birmingham Jail. And maybe you've read it too. It's, uh, it's a, a classic of um, yeah, political activism, of truth, speaking truth to power. And the letter from Birmingham jail, as you may know, Martin Luther King was arrested because he was doing a social activist in Birmingham, Alabama. He was arrested, and there had been a public letter from clergy across denominations and even religions essentially uh, chastising, rebuking his movement of nonviolent protest because they were saying, oh, well, you're breaking some laws, uh, you're ruffling feathers, and you should be patient and you should wait. What's why all the ruckus? Why are you talking about uncomfortable things? That's what essentially that public letter said to him. And so there he is in jail with a newspaper and writing a letter in the margins because that's the only paper he was given. And he's writing what became a classic letter from Birmingham jail. And I recommend you read it. I'm going to only paraphrase a point to one small section, but an important section. As he's defending the movement, and he's defending his, uh, the movement's right to fight for civil rights, he says, in the end, he says, what I've come to learn that my biggest struggle in the fight for freedom is not the, the, the city councilman, it's not the Ku Klux Klaner, he said it's the white moderate who prefers a negative peace than positive justice. In other words, the white moderate who prefers to just Let's not talk about hard things. Let's just, let's be polite and nice to each other. And let's not mention the, the uncomfortable things about our life. He said, that is harder to deal with than someone who's blatantly racist to my face. Because a negative peace is really just upholding the status quo. But positive peace is to speak the truth about what's wrong in the world and it's a cry for justice. I look to him and his work, and I want to not only personally have a spiritual life of integrity, but inviting me to the same. And I see Jesus and what he's doing, he's doing the same thing. An honest reading of Jesus' words in life, you will not come away with a sentimental boyfriend Jesus. He is a desert prophet, and his God is a God of fire. So it behooves us to listen to him. We're all set. Okay, more discomfort. Thank you. I still feel uncomfortable. I still feel unsettled. <clears throat> what do we do with that? Where's the peace? I've wrestled with how to land this plane because <laughs> inevitably you have to get personal. And I'll tell you this because the judgment of God is peace. It's peace for those who are oppressed, it brings justice to them, right? 
as we talked last, last week, if God's judgment is real, then you don't have to pick up a sword or a gun. God will come back. Vengeance is God's. He will make things right. But for us, let's say, okay, we're here in this room. How is it peace to me? I'll share from my own life, and then hopefully what I'm offering you now, you can map it onto your own. Number one lesson they teach you in seminary, at least when I went in, in preaching class, is do not bleed on the congregation. In other words, do not work out your problems in the pulpit. You can't do that. It's just inappropriate. So I'm going to write a line right now. Please receive it. It's meant to be for our education. It's true. As some of you know, I grew up in a very uh, uh, abusive family. My father was very physically abusive. It was a very hard time. In fact, when I think about it often, it's not, the, it's not the, the beatings that I took that actually hurt me the most. It's actually watching my sister and my mother cry. That was the hardest for me. And even though I was the youngest, um, I learned very early on that they would actually cry when I cried. So I learned very young to train myself not to cry under uh, even intense violence. I just had my little ways of coping. And actually, I had to unlearn it in my, in my adulthood, counseling, to not subdue that. But I remember doing that because I didn't want my sister and my mom to cry more than they already were. So I learned I could take it. I knew that. And there was more of it in my life. If you consider the ranges of abuse that exist for a child, I'd probably walk through those doors. I don't want to say more than that because it's not about me today. But I hope you can understand what I'm saying right now. So it came from a really hard place. And I left home when I was barely a teenager. I just, just turned 13 and I left. And life got really hard. For a, uh, for a long time, it was really hard. Um, and I was very aimless, had no real positive influence for a long time. And so I did all the classic things that young people do, or humans do, to self-medicate their pain. Drinking, substances, all kinds of unhelpful relationships with women. I just kind of just nosed, nosed out. I thought I was just setting free, partying. I was really self-medicating. I've learned that now. But things got really dark. Thankfully, Jesus found me. And in following him, it wasn't a straight line. I didn't become a priest the next day. It was up and down. You know, following him, falling back, following him. Still hurtful habits. And then I thank God I found an awesome counselor that I started processing a lot of what I had gone through. And in that journey, the counseling and also confession, I found an amazing priest, those two working together. I started to discover how so much of what I had endured as a child had woven uh, a tapestry of my life. That I, I had predilections to certain addictions, or I had certain tendencies, hurtful tendencies, because I had been so damaged at a young age. And in learning that, I sat there, I remember sitting there sometimes and considering my life, and I was thinking, wow, I didn't know that. Because if you had asked me in my late teens or early 20s, why do you do these terrible things? You're hurting yourself. I said, ah, because I want to. That's what I do. But maybe if you had prodded me, I would have felt some kind of guilt or shame about who I had, what I was doing. But then later, today, I can look back at that and say, well, I don't agree with the things that I was doing, but I also can understand that I was a hurt child, and that hurt wove itself in my life, and I needed help. And I didn't know that about myself, but now I do a little bit. And I look back on my life, and I have a measure of compassion for myself. I still struggle with it, right? But I begin to understand myself. 
and sitting there with my counselor, God bless her, and she gave me understanding. And it was healing. To sit with a human being and you share your life and to have someone listen to you and to understand you or want to understand you. You say, wow, that was so hard. I'm sorry that you went through that. And to be able to say that to myself, to look at my own life. And little, I look at my daughter, she's like I was that age. And it's jarring to see her life and how different it was from mine. But also so healing. It grants me understanding. All right. Do you see what I'm saying? But I'm saying this because I know that you have lives too. I know that you've gone through your own things. It's impossible to sit in this pew and just have a perfect life. We all hurt. We've all been hurt. And when I speak of the judgment of God, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you stand before the throne of God, I'll be honest with you. This is what I believe. I think that our whole life you're going to have to give an account for all you've said and all you've done. But also, because judgment is positive justice, I mean, it's speaking the truth about what's happened, you will also be here of the things that have happened to you, that have shaped you. I'm not denying human agency. You are responsible at some level. I can't discern that. That's the power of God to needle that thread. I'm not erasing or absolving you based on circumstances. There is personal agency, but it's more complicated than we think. And the, and the, and the judgment of God is perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly fair. There are things in your life that you've endured that no one's apologized to you for. There are things that you've been hurt that you've experienced, you have not experienced the healing and maybe you won't in this life. My friends, that is not for God. God will not forget that. When you stand before the throne, that will also be discussed. God understands you. When you speak about your hurt, and why things certain happen. You have to understand that God will be there. He knows, and he loves you. And if I could feel that little bit of healing with a human counselor, God bless her, she's wonderful. But she's not God. When I sit with God, I'm going to receive perfect understanding, perfect mercy, and perfect grace. The truth will be spoken. And that, that is peace. Because no matter what you've done, my friends, no matter what you've done, if you trust in Jesus, as embarrassing as that moment might be, I think we'll feel a lot of emotions in that moment when God is talking to us about our own lives. No matter what is said, you trust in Jesus, at the end of that, Jesus will be right there with you. He's going to say, the promise is, Jesus is going to say, Father, I know what's happened there, but this is my, this is my brother, but this is my sister. I paid for that on the cross. That's, that's fine. That's all done. They're coming home. trust in Jesus, that's what judgment is. And it's not just an end time thing, but if you can start thinking about that now, the peace of God that's promised at the end begins now in our lives today. No Christian should have to be nervous about the judgment of God. It's actually the place where you're going to find the answers of your life, the healing that we long for, is found in the perfect, loving, merciful judgment. Stop that moment is you. Because there is a reality that activates that. See, God's not a tyrant. He's not going to have forces on you. You have a, ch a, a chance to choose. 
And it's what John the Baptist talks about in Peter. It's repentance. All it costs you is your pride. It's your ego. You say, yeah, I've done things. and I wish I had, and I'm sorry about that. Because the door that Jesus offers to open it is humility. See, there's a part in the Bible where they talk about the unforgivable sin. Have you heard about that? You get scared about it? Jesus said, you can do all these things, and I'll forgive you, but blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I won't forgive you. And theologians have been puzzling that for ages. And I'm not going to solve it, but I'll tell you what I think it is. Because they were accusing Jesus, the Pharisees were accusing, oh, he, he does miracles with the power of the devil. Which, in other words, they were refusing to give credit to God, what God was doing. And he said, well, if you don't see who I am, you can't recognize that I'm God. In other words, if you don't repent, I can't forgive you. But the moment you, the moment you start that journey, you know, I, I do the whole thing. changes from a set focus and think about Jesus. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Piling on the shame and the guilt is thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of the, about the one who saved you. And there's tremendous peace in that. My friends, I hope that you take it. I hope that I take it. As we say, not only for our great good, trust in you, to accept your gift of peace. This we pray in the name.